Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated and surprising. I'm your host Steve Mulk and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as author. Words for at Brooklyn Mag, at Hello Giggles, at LA Times, at Femsplain, at Washington Post, at Smart Girls and my mum. <laughs> I followed in Alicia Florick's footsteps, literally. <laughs> Humans of Twitter is their stories into their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Danielle Sepulveris. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Oh, Danielle, it's great to speak with you. Firstly, did I say your last name right? Uh, close enough, yeah. <laughs> oh, close enough. That doesn't sound like I said it right. You, you said it much better than most people do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, let's put it down to my uh, richly Antipodean accent and uh, call it that. Yes, perfect. We'll do that. So I'll start with my first question, Danielle, if that's okay. In social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Um, I say, hi, I'm Danielle and I'm a freelance writer. <laughs> Congratulations. That I would have thought, and please forgive me if I'm wrong, in the broader uh, American media landscape, everybody's a freelance writer. This is true. <laughs> what does it mean for you to be a freelance writer? Uh, for me, um, well, this is something that's really cool for me to be able to say because I think for a long time I didn't think that you could actually make money writing or, yes. you know, reasonable money writing. And I've kind of proven myself wrong, which is nice. Um, I, I like to say it because my bill paying job for the past several years has been kind of working behind the scenes on, on various TV shows and mm -hmm. uh, most uh, people introduce me that way and say, oh, she's worked on this show or she's worked on this movie and I kind of don't feel like those are achievements. I feel like my <laughs> writing is. So, yes. uh, so I prefer to introduce myself as a freelance writer. And then if, you know, TV comes up in conversation later, that's fine. But that's not how I would introduce myself. Now, for people that want to hunt out your writing, obviously there are many, many places that they can do that. Can I please congratulate you on just some of the things in my short time that I've been following you on Twitter that I've read? You write real good. Thank you. <laughs> Not that it's a surprising thing, just that I want to congratulate. I've really enjoyed the stuff that you've written. I enjoy the approach that you take, and you're not short of an opinion. Thank you. Well, I, I try. <laughs> <laughs> what are you passionate about, Danielle? Oh, gosh. Uh, so many things. Um, I love movies. I love baseball. I love tacos. I mm. love, <laughs> well, I love food in general, I guess you could say. Um, a kindred spirit. Yes. Uh, I love, um, you know, I, I, I hate that I have to, but I love uh, kind of getting in the mix and, and arguing about women's health and women's right to yep. good health care, which unfortunately is something we still have to discuss. But um, I'm all for getting in there and educating people about it. Um, and I love dogs. Yes? Yes. All dogs, a particular type of dog? Um, I love, well, my, my particular dog is a beagle mix. He's a mutt, so he's the healthiest kind of dog you can have. Um, but I love all dogs, friendly dogs. 
<laughs> well, that always helps, right? Unfriendly dogs are never good. You can probably explain for me, Danielle, mm-hmm. baseball. Baseball, yes. Okay, so I am a Mets fan. and I I'm really... sorry to hear that. <laughs> that's, that's usually the reaction that I get. <laughs> <laughs> Although they won today, so... Um, so that was good, but I every grew, dog has their day. That's very true. They, I grew up a Mets fan. Um, mm-hmm. My family is from Brooklyn, so they were Brooklyn Dodger fans before the Dodgers left for Los Angeles. Yep. And, and then my grandfather became a Mets fan because he had hated the Yankees for so long on behalf of the Dodgers. <laughs> he, he he didn't feel that he could root for them. Uh, but actually, really cool thing. My grandfather was at the Yankee game where Lou Gehrig gave his famous speech, the luckiest man speech. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah which is pretty cool. We always looked for the ticket stub because my grandfather was kind of a pack rat. So we assumed that he saved it somewhere, but we were never able to find it. Probably in his suit when he got buried. <laughs> Most likely. Or my grandmother, who was not a pack rat, threw it away. <laughs> What's this piece of paper? It's rubbish. Oh, Grandma. I, I have, in my short uh, time uh, in, in this world, seen some games of baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have uh, been lucky enough, let's call it that, to mm-hmm. be at a couple of Arizona Cardinals games. Mm-hmm. I probably haven't appreciated it for the beautiful thing that it is because I know there are lots of people that love baseball. I just looked at it and went... This seems very intermittent. Uh, are you? Is that a nice way of saying boring? Yes. <laughs> I hear that a lot. I guess, well, you know what it is? It's such a long season that mm-hmm. I, I feel that I don't watch every single game because I, I think, although I do know people who do, and I think that's a You that's have a, a life, right? Yeah, yeah, I have a life. I mean, I try to anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I'll check in, but I, I'll sometimes go a couple weeks and, and not having paid super close attention. Um, but, you know, I, I check in more than I watch every single game, but I love going to live games. Like there's, for me, there's nothing more fun than, than going and sitting in the stands and, and watching a game and, and yep. getting riled up and eating hot dogs and drinking beer. Well, that, that, look, all of those things can happen in the comfort of your home too. This is true. But, you know, you're not surrounded by thousands of people screaming with you. <laughs> that, well, that's a very true. Booing at the right times, mm-hmm. you know, shouting when a ball goes in the air that inevitably gets caught and ruins the whole process. It, it, it is something that strikes me as uh, a bunch of fun. I haven't been lucky enough to see a big fight, you know, where the dugout gets cleared and everyone goes the punch. I hear they do happen from time to time. I've never seen one live. I've only seen it on TV. Um yeah, but yeah, that, I guess I feel like those happen less these days than they used to. But although, actually, you know what? If you go to any game where a, a Phillies team is playing, yes. <laughs> you're probably guaranteed to see one of those. <laughs> now, is it true, and I ask this as an outsider who's only ever read the internet, uh, that when it comes to baseball, mm-hmm. it is okay slash legal for the players to involve themselves with human growth hormones? Oh, you know, I, I don't, I don't even know exactly what is and isn't. I'm sure, honestly, a lot of them are doing something that they're not supposed to be doing. 
<laughs> because that's just how sports seem to work. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't, and I, I personally, I don't even know the difference between, you know, what they call like the HDH or, or a steroid or like why yeah. one is, is considered not that bad and one considered is like, to me, it all sounds like it's not good <laughs> in the long yes. run for your body as a whole. And <laughs> or your testicles, especially. Yes, exactly. And I don't, and I don't know what differences between the two would make one sort of, you know, just more frowned upon versus illegal. Uh, so I have to say, I, I can't really speak to that. Um, but you know, I, I am holding you responsible as commissioner for baseball. Okay. Well, I, I would say, I mean, I, I'm not one of those people who, who would look the other way if one of my favorite players got caught doing something. I mean, as it is, the, the Mets, you know, took back a, a player just recently who got arrested for hitting his wife, and I don't think that's okay. No. So, no. you know, I think the same thing applies to this. If, if a player's doing something illegal, you know, they shouldn't be able to play. But, and I think that that's a fairly standard rule in life that <laughs> not enough people subscribe to. I know. <laughs> NBA, we're looking at you. <laughs> Uh, now, I, I have one more question about baseball. It's not really related, but I was watching... I flicked over and caught some with a friend of mine the other day, and I went, what's with that? And they went, I don't know, Steve. Ask someone who knows. <laughs> so, hopefully you might know, what is it with the seemingly symbiotic relationship between baseball and chewing tobacco? <laughs> I really don't know. I think it's disgusting. But, I, I mean, I think a lot more guys are chewing gum now as a replacement for it, but there's still plenty of guys who are, who are chewing tobacco. It's, I guess it's kind of an old school thing. Cause it's what all the old timey players used to do. And, and I don't know, maybe it's a bonding thing, but I, I used to work with someone who, mm -hmm. who, you know, did a lot of chewing tobacco and, and it was just oh, so gross to me that they're just spinning all day long into a cup. Yeah. Oh yeah. Ugh. It's, it's look, it, and, and this is the thing. Obviously, some yes would be chewing gum. I'm sure a number of them are chewing nicotine gum. <laughs> right. um, but, but you know, the, at the moment that I saw it, there was at least three or four of the eight or nine gents in the dugout spitting onto the ground. Yeah. Now you don't do that with normal gum. That's going to be chewing tobacco. Right. But you're right. The idea that then that that's okay, but then normal humans in the world walking around with their you know their little disposable cup or whatever, like that's a nasty little surprise to be picking up or cleaning up. It's, wow, it's really gross. I wonder too, though. I mean, you're you're supposed to. I I tried chewing tobacco once in college. Yes, and I did. We all right, of course. I did get kind of a buzz from it, so I wonder yeah. if that's. I mean, maybe that's just why they do because just to to kind of I don't know. I I. Since I think it's gross, I can't really think of a good justification for it. It's probably there just to level the steroids out. Oh, probably. All the HGH, yeah. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> Danielle, you mentioned that you are passionate about movies. Yes. Um, we're, what, in the, just into the second half of 2016. What is it that you've seen recently from a movie perspective that's caught your eye or has your attention? Uh, you know, um, I haven't had a ton of time to go to the movies. I did see The Lobster not that long ago, um, mm -hmm. which was, I, I thought it was great. It was, I love weird, quirky kind of movies and, and Colin Farrell was just amazing in it because it, it was such like a kind of a deadpan, dark comedy. 
and it felt like a foreign film without actually being a foreign film. Yeah. Uh, it's like, I've only seen the trailer for this, but okay. it is very crazy. Yeah, it, it is. And it sort of, I'm trying to think, you know, it's it kind of reminded me of like a cross between the movie The Science of Sleep and, um, oh God, what's the other one? Uh, with Will Ferrell and Emma Thompson, and she's like narrating his life. Because oh, yeah, a, yeah. Um, oh God, I'm just drawing a blank on the title of that movie. Uh, yes. But you know what I'm talking about. Because yeah. there's like a narration in The Lobster and, and The Science of Sleep is kind of like a bizarre little movie. Um, but yeah, there was just, it was it was interesting. There was, I would say there's like 15 minutes of the movie that it kind of took a turn and I thought, I don't know how I feel about this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in general, overall, when it was over, I was like, that was really good and, and different and not like anything else I've ever seen and not like anything I've seen this year. Um, yes. but I, I just started watching, um, I, I guess I'm more of a, become more of a Netflix person cause I'm such a homebody, but I, I started Stranger Things, the Winona Ryder, um, yes. and I'm only one episode in, but I get why everybody is so excited about it. It's, it's really, yes. it's really kind of fun and cool and, and creepy and eighties. And I just love it. The best that I've heard Stranger Things described as is the Goonies mixed with ET, uh, mixed with a you know touch of 2016 laying on it. It's I, I'm with you. I've only seen a couple of episodes, which is really rare for me. Right. I just haven't had the time to see it all. But it looks incredible, and everyone I know is going, "Oh, you've got to see the Stranger Things." I know. Blah blah blah. <laughs> I know, and honestly, usually when 19,000 people are telling me to watch something, I end up watching it and not thinking it's that great. <laughs> 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 but this happens to be an exception. I, I think this is so far. I think this is really good. So I'm excited to watch the rest of it when I have a little more time. <laughs> So you haven't stepped out to see uh, Mike and Dave or Bad Moms or anything like that? I haven't. Um, I'm not that interested. Although, you know, I heard I heard Bad Moms is is funny, although the trailer makes it not look so great. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I like everyone in it. And, yep. you know, and the women that are in it are very funny. And, and, you know, I'm all for movies that are putting, you know, female actresses front and center where they should be. Yes. And um, the Mike and Dave movie, I actually, I heard it's funny. I, I read an interview in The Observer with, like, the two guys that it's based on. Mm-hmm. And the interview kind of made me not want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, we've just had um, Andy uh, and, uh, what's his, who's the good looking one? Um Oh, uh, High School Musical. Oh, Zac Efron. Yes, we, yeah. they just toured Australia and charmed everyone to death. Okay. Um, so I'm sure it's probably going to do pretty reasonable business down there. Over here, like I, I've been keeping an eye over here. I'm in America, Canada <laughs> at the moment. And I, I haven't been seeing or hearing. Maybe they did the charm offensive before they came. I don't know. But I'm not seeing lots of love for it. Yeah, it's, I, th- I don't know. I mean, sometimes, too, it just comes down to the way things get advertised and marketed you know, and and because I'm guilty of that too, where something in a trailer won't look so good to me, or or you know, because I'm in the subway all the time in New York City, and I see ads, and if I'm not kind of into it by that, I I don't feel that compelled to check it out. 
and yes. you know reg- you know aside from you know people telling you to and, and whatnot but sure. um you know and then sometimes it's it's just you know what appeals to you and what doesn't appeal to you because uh, there's been times that i felt that way and then later watch something and been like oh god they marketed this all wrong because i love this and they made it seem like something totally different than, yeah. than what i was expecting and um, I felt that way about Crazy Ex-Girlfriends, uh, yep. which I think is a terrific show. And when it when it was first being advertised, I thought, oh, God, this sounds terrible. This looks like a terrible show, but it's it's actually <laughs> wonderful. Um, you know, and and that just happened. You know, actually, I'd, I'd hate to admit this. I feel terrible admitting this. But um, when the Mindy Project first came out, I thought the com- mm-hmm. the commercials for it made it seem like a show I wouldn't be interested in at all. And then um, I watched it just because I uh, some of the writers on it I like a lot, and also I like her. And I yeah. thought, oh gosh, this show is this, this show is awesome. And I don't know why I didn't think it would be, but it was. Yeah. So I don't know. Sometimes it's just some, you know, the, the rep the smaller representation isn't indicative of the whole. And sometimes you just have to watch to see. You're not the first person to say this, Danielle. I, I have had conversations with a number of others where they've uh, lamented or acknowledged that whoever is doing the promos or the trailers for some of these things really fell asleep at the wheel it happens and and you know and it happens the other way too where sometimes a trailer is fantastic and then you go see a movie and you think god this is garbage <laughs> but they put together you know a pretty good two-minute compilation of it <laughs> or the worst part is where they give you the trailer where it's the entire plot oh uh, i don't know why they do that that doesn't make any sense to me at all because they're idiots <laughs> and then you know and then the joke gets totally played out and by the time you go see the movie you're like i've laughed at this joke 14 times you know yep. in the trailer and it's not funny anymore yes don't even something. An important question in two parts for you, Danielle. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the new Ghostbusters and did it ruin your childhood? <laughs> I am guilty of not seeing it yet, uh, although I'm going to go this week. I've had I had kind of a crazy couple of weeks on a, on a new job where I've been kind of working overnights and sleeping during the day on a vampire oh, schedule. Dude. Yes. So, <laughs> so this week everything should kind of be back to normal and, and more balanced out so I can, you know, actually be awake during daytime hours. <laughs> so I plan on seeing it this week. I am excited to see it. And, you know, regardless, whether or not I like it, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely the idea of it ruining someone's childhood is so ridiculous to me because the original movie, and I'm probably going to get stabbed in my sleep for this, it's not that good. <laughs> it's not a great movie if you think about it. It's just an 80s kind of kitschy, you know, a lot of 80s movies are just, it's not that they were like these amazing, you know, masterpieces. They were just 80s yes. movies and they were fun. And, yep. You know, and that's just what they were. If if you pick apart a lot of plots in '80s movies, you could find something wrong with all of them. But, you know, I wasn't. I also wasn't a diehard Ghostbusters person. There's plenty of people who are diehard. I just thought it was kind of fun and funny, and it had a bunch of guys in it who I who I found hilarious, and yep. you know, it had weird special effects, and and it was you know kind of funky and different. But, you know, when I heard they were remaking it, I you know. And when it comes to anything like this, I think don't get mad that they're remaking it with an all-female cast. Be mad that there's no original stuff happening in Hollywood. Be mad that 
you know, yeah. they're they're not giving you know new screenwriters a chance or even established screenwriters a chance to make a good indie film versus just rehashing the same old, same old. Yep. And and look, we're seeing that not just in film, aren't we? We're seeing it in television as well. When uh, a TV series version of Uncle Buck can get green lit yeah. and gets a season before it gets well half a season before it gets cancelled yeah um, it's ludicrous why can't we come up with original ideas I don't know I don't know you know it's it's you know it's they're afraid to take risks but then you know the, the non-risks that they're taking isn't generating good ideas it's just mm-hmm. you know and yeah it's it is it's disappointing um, and also look at all the reboot. I mean, they reboot Full House. How many years later? They're oh. they're rebooting Gilmore Girls, and they just keep yep. talking about all these shows that they want to redo and, and bring all the original cast back. And you know, I don't. You know, I don't know. I, I want to keep an open mind about. It. I have so many friends who are huge, huge Gilmore Girls fans, and who are so mm-hmm. excited about this. And I I actually never really watched the show. I don't. You know, I I mean, I know who's in it. I kind of know what it's about, but I I. I never watched it, so, um, yep. you know, so I'm I'm one of like the four people who's not excited. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that way. If if you look online, I feel like I'm the only person who didn't watch that show. Uh, but you know, and and then it's it's hard for me to look down too much on these things too, because the other side of it is I've had jobs in TV and film, and I think okay, well these reboots are employing people, and that's not a bad thing, and and so then yeah. I feel kind of guilty for. For shit talking. <laughs> I guess the catch is that the people that are, are working on the film, with very few exception, aren't responsible for making the decision to to reboot those things. Like they're, they're gigs for them, they're turning up and they're running cameras or they're writing or doing whatever. And you're right, it's putting you know food on the table and all that sort of stuff. Right. Um, but it's it's like that top level creative and executive that go, oh, need to come up with three new ideas by nine o'clock. Let's just reboot the Cosby show. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. What, what worked like 20 years ago? Let's do that again. Mm. Surprised we haven't had a Gilligan's Island reboot. Yeah. Well, you know, famous last words. <laughs> Let it never happen. Please. <laughs> television gods. Well, and that's the thing too. A lot of these things, I, I feel like I've seen, um, kind of an uptick in things that are period pieces you know things that take place in the 80s the 70s the 50s like you know and I'm starting to wonder if that's because a lot of uh things now you know you you put a cell phone in the mix and a lot of plots are easily solved in 12 minutes (laughs) so (laughs) whereas you take into account the fact you know, in these earlier decades where, you know, we, we don't have Google and we don't have cell phones and we don't have these kind of capabilities. And so mm. you, you either have to have kind of way more sophisticated storylines with, you know, politics and technology and, and what's going on in the world. And, or you, you know, go back to, uh, something more simpler where it's landlines and, and you can yep. actually, you know, have have an issue that can carry out for ninety minutes because you can't solve it by by calling on a cell phone. <laughs> family Ties, people. How good was Family Ties? Family Ties was a great show. It lives long in this little heart. I loved it. God, Michael J. Fox as a as a young Republican. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you think that Alex B. Keaton would be voting for Donald Trump? He would be involved in the Trump campaign intimately, surely. Yeah, 
like whether he was in charge of the finances or something, he'd be doing. He would be there making sure that the orange man became president. Oh God, that's that makes me so upset. <laughs> but it's the inevitable outcome, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, he was he was a diehard Republican. What about Alex's little brother Andy? What would he be doing? Andy, oh gosh, let's see. I think that Andy. Um, would be working for Hillary. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the most normal of the three Keaton kids. <laughs> I think he'd be working for Hillary and doing her social media. Yes, I'm down with that. Mm-hmm. And Mallory would still be on the phone somewhere. Yes, Mallory would be on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Zing, yeah, look, we have just rewritten... Yeah, bring it on. Um <laughs> I am intrigued, Danielle, if I may ask, what is your new gig that has you running vampire hours? Ah, well, I, I can't really talk about it yet. It's a, it's a <sighs> secret. Secret, sorry. It's a new TV show. It hasn't aired yet. Um, Great. So I will, I'll talk more about it when it starts airing. Um, but it's, but are you, it's, this isn't just the pilot you're working on, though. This is the season. Yeah, this is the season. And it's it's super fun. And it's, uh, it's different than, I mean, because I, I worked, you know, six-ish years on The Good Wife um, so and then I you know took a few months off after that ended and you know so going back to work on a new show is is weird for me because you know I, I had a family on that other show and mm-hmm. it's you know it's I, I do know some people here too and, and it's fun and it's it's, in, it's you know it's always interesting to learn new things and get to know new people um, but it is it is kind of weird still that uh, that I'm not going back to the place I've been at for so many years before this. I, I can understand that, and, and on behalf of my wife, who slavishly loved watching uh, The Good Wife, thank Aww. you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> she she was very angry when episodes went missing on our local Australian broadcast because they just halted them for whatever reason. Oh, no. But. Why? It just would happen. It's Australian TV, right? They'll pause it and move it here and do things. It's crazy. Yeah. When I was in Iceland, I couldn't watch the uh, the series finale, and <sighs> which was I know it was it was heartbreaking. I mean, even though I knew what happened, <laughs> <laughs> surprise! They changed it. I know, right? Uh, but of course, I still wanted to watch it, and uh, and so I had to wait till the next day, and I bought it on iTunes and I watched it <laughs> there. But you know, it just. Which is fine, but it was funny because I thought I could stream it on CBS All Access, and it was like yeah. your your region's blocked from doing that. And I'm like, why Iceland? Why why would you be so cruel to Iceland? <laughs> Welcome to the life of an Australian, Danielle, where a VPN gets you around most things. Yes, that's what I've heard. That's what someone was trying to explain to me, and I said, I'm I'm not tech savvy enough for this. I'll wait till tomorrow and buy it on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> what was what was it like watching that final episode? As you said, you knew how it ended. You knew what the whole process was, but seeing the finished package, uh, you know, in a you know broadcast kind of context, it was was that closure. Yeah, it was really emotional for me, and you know, and and I thought I would be okay because as it was, you know, I had cried on the last day of filming. You know, sure. as it was, I had been, I had been good like the whole last episode. As you know, as days went by, everybody kind of cried here and there, and I was like, um, oh, you know. Because I'm not, I'm not always the biggest crier when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like I am when I'm like, you know, writing stuff and like on my own. But when I'm, I'm sort of kind of 
contain myself usually when I'm around other people and and I kind of thought that was going to be the case and then the last day of shooting it just kind of hit me and I was just mm-hmm. bawling and Juliana Margulies like walked down the hallway and like saw me in one of the dressing rooms just crying my eyes out and she's like oh my god <laughs> and uh, and I said oh it, it finally hit me it's like you know I know that it's over and that you know this was kind of an amazing part of my life that I'll never forget but it's it's going to be over soon and and this is all going to be memories and great memories and Mm. and you know and I was thinking about that when I was watching the final episode because it was almost you know my heart was kind of pounding because you know I kept looking at the the time like ticking down on the end and I was like oh only 18 more minutes in the episode oh only 12 more minutes in the episode you know and then in the last minute and and you know and you thought gosh that's that's it how how fast it goes and you know how how many days you spent on it where it felt like you know you're there for 14 hours and it feels like the longest day ever but then you have all these 14 hour days strung together and then all of a sudden it's it's just over and you know and and time to move on to the next thing and it's it's sort of a a weird thing I've never kind of experienced something like that before I mean I used to have a corporate job and I you know had left jobs you know given my two weeks notice and gone to new jobs and and I've also you know been laid off in in bad you know um in a bad economy and so this was the first time I think that I knew in so much with so much advanced notice that my job was going to be going away um and so it's it's a very weird thing to kind of watch that all wind down and then still but have it you know even after it's over then there's still like a month left to, for it to be on the air so you still don't truly feel like it's over yep. and you know and usually uh july is when we would go back to work for the new season so oh, i guess it was yep. like the second or third week of july I, I like it hit me i said oh my gosh this is when i'd be going back to work like it's really it like it's really over But it's not over in your heart, Danielle. No, it's not. It'll never be over in my heart. And also in my residual checks for 92 cents every, you know, six months Amen, sister. (laughs) Here's to that being syndicated around the world. Exactly. Keep watching it on Hulu, people. (laughs) (laughs) Mama needs a brand new doormat. (laughs) Exactly. And something from the dollar menu at Wendy's. (laughs) (laughs) What challenges you? Uh, what challenges me? Hmm. To continually produce good writing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I think, I think that's something a lot of artists feel, especially freelance artists, is that you know, even when you've done something that feels really good and really productive and that you're particularly proud of, uh, almost as soon as it publishes or it's about to publish, I'm already panicking, thinking can I duplicate this? Can I do better than this? And how am I going to do better than this? Or do I write too much about the same things all the time? And and how do I diversify, but without, you know, you know, overstepping and and trying to speak to things that I'm not familiar enough with? And how do I get more familiar with them? And, you know, I, I think I've spent the past six months really trying to go a little bit more outside the box instead of just writing about relationships and, um, you know, coming up, I'm going to be writing more about food, which I'm excited about and right. doing some more interviews, which I'm also excited about. Cause that was 
that wasn't something I did too much. And then I started uh, doing more Q and A interview stuff for Smart Girls, Amy Poehler's website, and yes, uh, and I was you know kind of having fun with it. Uh, I actually never thought I was that good at interviewing someone. Um, and then I, I also didn't want to be the person who asks dumb questions, but they, you know, they f- only questions that feel dumb, but even though the answers would be something that the audience would want to hear. And then I think, how do you walk the line between good questions that people want to hear the answers to? And, you know, it's, I mean, interviewing is an art into itself. And yes. there's, there's some people who are really, really natural at it or really good at it. And I'm sure obviously they, they work to be really good at it with involves research and, and just being smart and conversational and, and all these things. Um, and so that's something I want to be better at. So that challenges me. And, you know, and, and I like that when I do get to research people who I'm going to interview, I do end up learning about things that I knew nothing about. I, I, I interviewed a couple of artists when I was in Iceland and, you know, went to see this art exhibit and it was kind of life changing. Uh, and I just spoke to a woman the other day who she designs a clothing line for mm-hmm. people in wheelchairs and cool yeah and it was so amazing listening to her talk about it and how she got into it and you know and I just you know when that happens I usually end up hanging up with them and then going online and and reading more about it because you know they're so engaging talking about what they do and what they're putting out into the world that I think I you know I want to support them in some way or, or learn more about it and be able to even if it's just tell it like the way I'm telling you about that this person exists and she does this yeah. and you know that's that's part of you know supporting an artist that's so good well look I can absolutely uh, assure you that I look after all of the stupid questions and bad questions for everyone else <laughs> so you'll be fine um, but that that idea of somebody designing clothes for people in wheelchairs like when you say it you go of course. Right. Like that makes so much sense. Yeah, I know it's, and you know, and the way she spoke about it too was so beautiful because she had been, you know, she was a designer and she'd been contacted by um, a person who was a, a quadriplegic and wanted very specific clothes. And so she was designing for this person kind of one-on-one. And mm-hmm. as she got to know this person better, she started doing research on her own about, um, you know, where people went shopping to find clothing that worked for them if, if they were in a wheelchair. And she found that there's a very high percentage of people who are, you know, younger than 50 who have some kind of disability, whereas there's plenty, there's se- not plenty, I guess, but like there seems to be more options for um, more elderly people in yeah. a wheelchair versus things that are you know youthful and mm-hmm. you know for someone who's a uh, you know unfortunately maybe a teen who's in a wheelchair or in their 20s in a wheelchair and you know yeah. they don't want to be wearing the same clothes that say you know an 80 year old person would wear um yeah. and so she thought that there was this incredible void that you know should be filled that people and it not just about like finding stuff that's more chic obviously but um she wanted to make chic like cool trendy things that Mm. they wouldn't have problems with with like buttons or snaps or zippers you know things that they could easily you know kind of dress and and even um maybe even dress themselves with because some people need assistance and 
Um, she was saying how sometimes clothes can, you know, clothes that you can put on yourself when you have a disability, it kind of gives you your dignity back. Yeah. And I thought, you know, oh my gosh, it's, it's so true. Cause a lot of us like are, you know, our clothes are part of our identity. It's how we express ourselves. Yeah. And so if you're only getting to choose from like a very small, you know, uh, you know, very lit, I guess I should say very limited options, you know, you're not getting to express yourself and why shouldn't someone with a disability get to express themselves? Why, why should they have to express themselves any less than someone who's not in a wheelchair? Yep. And it saves, you know, young people in wheelchairs looking like creepy old men. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. We don't. Well, only because, the, you know, the, the, if the styles are older and those kinds of things, you put a young person in, it's like, that doesn't feel right. No, and, you know, and, and I'm sure that the majority of of those kind of kinds of clothes, they're just, you know, made to be utilitarian and, and yeah. functional and, you know, and whereas, yeah, practical over, you know, yeah. uh, design and those things. Right. And whereas like, she's going for practicality plus design, which, you know, why not? Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. So it was pretty. And then of course, you know, when you talk to someone like that, you hang up and you think, Oh my God, I've done nothing productive with my life ever. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that's my post-interview feeling regularly. <laughs> you can feel it coming on now. Oh, God, uh, sorry. No, no, it's fine, Danielle. What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? I'm going to finish another book. Yes. Yes. I um, My first book was just recently optioned, so I'm hoping right. that also in the next 12 months, maybe she'll be giving the, the woman who optioned it, she'll be giving me news that maybe it'll be going into production to be a film. So that Brilliant. would be exciting. Um, I'd love to uh, sell a script that I co-wrote with uh, my good friend, Andrew. Uh, oh, excuse me. I almost just called her Andrew. Andrew Andre Bergman. Um mm-hmm who uh, is one of the greatest writers I think I've ever worked with, and she deserves Excellent. way more credit than... She's she's completely underrated, and she needs to write more where people can see it. That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Just as a beside on, on the, the book being optioned, that's great news. Yeah, thanks. I'm excited about it. Uh, she had approached me about it, and I really liked her take on it and what she, you know, she really seemed to understand the book and, you know, kind of felt, you know, the way she felt about the characters is how, you know, it's and it's weird to talk about them as characters because, you know, it's a memoir, so I'm technically one of the characters. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a little weird, but you know what I mean. And and also it's it's events that happened so long ago I almost feel like it is a different person. And yeah. I just I just felt like she she gets it and she would do justice to it and you know, I hope that she you know, she gets some financing and and gets something put together because I think she'd do a really great job with it. Well, phenomenal. That's that man. Mm-hmm. That is that is so much stuff to achieve in twelve months. That lots of people would go. Well, maybe over two or three years we'll get all that happen. <laughs> I'm very impatient. <laughs> <laughs> that is excellent. Hey, Danielle. Yes. Thank you so much for the chance to speak with you today. Please know the things that you have said are very special and you're highly valued. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Steve. It was so great talking to you. 
Oh, wonderful. Can you tell me, please, very clearly, you are a tweeting person. Are there other social accounts you would want people to know about? Ah, well, yeah, Twitter's probably the best place to find me because that's where I'm spouting nonsense all day long or, you know, getting upset about something or making jokes and or posting fun pictures. Um, and that's at LSEP, E-L-L-E-S-E-P. Um, I'm also on Instagram, but I'm not a really good photographer. So, <laughs> although if you want to go on and look at all my pictures from Iceland, you kind of can't screw those up. You basically just have to point and shoot in that country. And, <laughs> and everything looks like a screensaver. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so my uh, my Instagram is uh, at Danielle Sepp. And you can go on my website, uh, which is actually being revamped right now. So probably by next week, all my updated clips will and press will be up there. And that's daniellesepulveris.com. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at LSEP is indeed human. <laughs> this is accurate.